Hello everyone and welcome to this week's episode of Social Work Radio with me, your host Vince Peart. Once again and always we are joined on the good ship SWR by Tilly Baden. Tilly my friend, how the devil are you? How have things been since you were last aboard the good ship SWR? Hello everyone. I'm good, thank you. Um, so I'm in the middle of my two and a half weeks off. Well, from my time off from my main job. I'm still doing a little bit of independent work, but it's gone from doing 60 hours a week to sort of a 15, 20 hours a week. So that is basically time off for me. So um, yeah, I'm having a nice time. I'm doing spending a lot of time outside, sunbathing, enjoying the sunshine because it's really hot in the UK at the moment. Um spending time with the horses um went to the uh dressage championship show on saturday wow. and um came second which i was really pleased with superb um, i was i was in first position for ages until the last rider to go and then she just picked me to the post but no. i didn't mind because it was a friend so um it was fine but yeah that was really good so just enjoying things at the moment how have you been I'm good. I, I'm, I, do you know what? I'm genuinely good, actually. Uh, sometimes I say I'm good and I'm not that good. Do you know what I mean? I'm just like, <laughs> you, you, you know what I'm like, Tilly. Like, I'm always good. Do you know what I mean? I'm. Uh, you know when you come out of a difficult period and you look back and you realise that you were going through a difficult period, but you didn't really admit it to yourself or other people? Do you get that feeling yeah. or is it just me? Oh, no, no. I have get that feeling, definitely. Yeah, it's because horrible. it's... Yeah, yeah, it is horrible, to be honest. Um, because... I think when you're a social worker and when you are used to being the strong person and the person who helps others, both in your personal and professional life, it can be difficult to admit weakness, can't it? Of course, yeah. And, and I think because of that, and I think because it can be difficult to admit weakness and to admit that you need help, sometimes when people try and offer you help, I don't know about you, but sometimes when people try and offer me help while I am in that position, I don't like it because... I'm the one that always helps other people. I'm the one that always supports other people. When people try and offer me help, sometimes I can have a really toxic response, which is kind of to almost push them away and kind of hide my weakness and need for help behind like a steely exterior. But I kind of go overboard. Not only do I, uh, it's a really toxic trait of mine, to be honest. So not only will I sort of say, well, I don't need help, but I'll kind of, purposely try and prove that I don't need help is that me being absolutely weird or again does that kind of make sense no I mean I do the same thing um... <laughs> I'm, glad it's not just me. I'm glad it's not just me definitely not just you we're in yeah. that boat together yeah and then so today um I'm working away at the moment as part of my independent social work as you know I, you know I do I do assessments all over the country and I don't know whether it was you know going to see Bruce Springsteen a couple of times recently it sort of gave me a bit of clarity I don't know it's because I'm coming out of you know that difficult personal time that I sort of you know about and I've hinted at the on, on the podcast a couple of times obviously I'm not going to go into detail because it is very personal but now that I'm kind of emerging from the other end I've looked back and I've realized you know um I've been lucky to have a lot of people in my life that genuinely wanted to help, you know, friends, family members, you know, my best friend, uh, my mum, my brothers and so on. And I've kind of been a bit horrible with them, to be honest. I've realized that. And it's it's not been intentional, but it's it's been that it's been that protective nature. 
So I've, I've done what I've always done in order to deal with things. And I, uh, I wrote a blog. I wrote a blog about the importance of self-care today uh, for the website. So you guys who are listening might want to go on mysocialworknews.com. I wrote a, an article about self-care. And it was kind of selfishly, Tilly. It was more to remind myself than anybody else that you do need to ask for help because if you keep pushing people away and you keep storing up that pain then you become the kind of hypocrite that we were talking about on the podcast the other week. And I have been a hypocrite, but emerging from that, I feel stronger because of it, because I can recognize that now. Whereas if I go back a couple of years when I wasn't as kind of aware of myself, um, I would never have recognized that. I would have always seen it as other people being the problem. You know, I, Again, I don't know about you, Tilly, but I don't even like people asking me if I'm okay. Like, you know, I'm going about my life and somebody says, Vince, are you okay? And I start thinking, am I not okay? Am I I'm projecting this? So, yeah, for, for somebody that is always there for other people and literally spends his daily life supporting other people, I don't have hate being seen as vulnerable and in need of help myself. Is that weird? Or, again, I does that kind of make sense? It does make sense completely. And I think that's a trait of many social workers. Yeah. And I think I think a lot of people fall into that yeah. that sort of polar opposites. They're either the helpers or the helpees. Yes. And yes. Um yeah, and social workers are often the helpers because that's why we chose our careers. And I think it it's hard when positions are reversed. Mm. And I think it also makes you reflect more then on how you help others and how sometimes we expect people to respond to our help and can get frustrated when they don't accept our help in social work as much as we're willing to give Mm. and then when tables are turned you realize that actually it is really hard to accept help it, do you know what it is? And, I, and I'll tell you what, it's been, it's been hard on the people that have tried to offer me help as well, because it's almost like I've pushed them away. You know, I've been losing always because not only am I not, you know, getting the help that I obviously need, but at the same time, I'm kind of pushing people away. All, all I can do is hope that they'll forgive me. And, and that's all you can hope in people and say, well, look, you know, that's just my way, my toxic way of dealing with things. But it's... um. It's not good, but on the flip side, I think it is It is good when you get to a position in life when you can recognize and you can acknowledge that. Now, the key is, hopefully, in future, you acknowledge that at the time and you don't wait till six <laughs> weeks later, which is, you know, I'm like, that's what I tend to do. I'll be like, yeah, you know how it was for the past six weeks. I'm sorry now. I've realized, like, sorry for, you know, being the way I was. So, yeah, no, I feel really good. I feel the best I have in a, in a long time, um, things are going well. And I am looking forward to potentially, oh, I'm going to drop a little hint here. This is a bit of excitement. I am potentially um, going to a Sam Fender concert uh, this weekend with uh, some mystery people linked to uh, social work news. So that'll be quite exciting for me if that offer comes through. Oh, you'll have a great time. I'm very jealous, but I will be at horse camp. So I will. (laughs) How very, how very different our weekends will be. (laughs) Yeah, you'll be living it up partying and I'll be, well, actually, I'll still be living it up partying, but in the field, getting drunk in the tent. 
So well, that's again, yeah, that sounds very similar to a music festival, doesn't it? You know, it's like <laughs> you know, I'm obviously I've not seen it at a festival, I've seen it at St James's Park. So, um, yes, very good. Right, um, enough of uh, you know Vince's free uh, supervision and therapy for today. Let us move swiftly on. We've had another review in. Uh, this week it comes from Liddy Rose, and Liddy Rose says, "Really enjoy this podcast." I used to listen to Social Work Tutor, especially during COVID. Really loved the Harry Potter series and wish I could find it to listen again. Enjoy your robust conversations and insight you both bring. Thanks both, Social Worker from the West Midlands. Two things to say there, Tilly. Firstly, and most importantly, thank you ever so much for Liddy Rose. And secondly, Tilly, whatever happened to the Social Work Tutor? I miss that guy. Where did he go? Oh, I wonder. I wonder. <laughs> what happened to the social work tutor. Who knows? Just just one day, one day he was there, one day he was gone, just like, just disappeared. I miss that guy. <laughs> Whatever happened? That that, should, that would be a good podcast. What happened? Do you think we can bring him back? Do you think we can maybe bring that social work tutor back for a one-off podcast? Or do you think his time's oh, gone? Do you think he's just I don't know. I th- he's a bit of has-been now, isn't he? Oh, is he? <laughs> nah, I mean, I wouldn't. I no, wouldn't, no, I, mean, I wouldn't say no, that. Maybe- I mean, We'll have him back, maybe, for one episode. I think, you know, people like a man of mystery, though, don't they? They do. They do. Um, It's intriguing. Everyone wondered what happened to him. What happened? Whatever happened to the social work tutor? Who knows? Who knows? Maybe maybe one day we'll find out. Um, (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. Talking about the social work tutor, talking about social workers in general, which is obviously what we do. The clues in the name, people. The clues in the name. It's social work radio. Um, This last week, we ran a really interesting story from one of our uh, guest writers. Um, And it was basically, and I, I like this a lot, I mean, obviously, I like everything. I particularly like the stuff that you write, Telly. Um, I like all of our writers. We've got a lovely family over at mysocialworknews.com. And this is from Ashley. Ashley's an American social worker. And a piece she wrote this last weekend really struck a chord with me. And the headline is, slash was, social workers should be our own best clients. We've got to fix ourselves first. And the article is basically... um, focusing on taking care of yourself. So there's a couple of paragraphs I'm going to read out that really, really struck a chord of me. And she says, imagine you're sitting across from yourself, professional poker face on. What would you say? Would you tell yourself that you're overworked, underpaid and underslept? Or maybe it's okay not to carry the burden of the world alone. For all the patience we have for others, we sure are hard on ourselves. We advise our clients to seek help, to rest and to take it easy. When was the last time we took our own advice? So, my fellow social workers, let's take a step back and care for ourselves. Let's be our own clients, because just as the in-flight safety videos say, you've got to put on your own oxygen mask first before helping others. We may not be at 30,000 feet, but the principle holds. If we had a dollar for every time we neglected our own self-care, we'd probably be sicking cocktails on a beach somewhere not worrying about next week's caseload. Remember, we are great at what we do, but even heroes need a break. Let's put ourselves on our client list. I thought, wow. I mean, obviously we talk about self-care a lot on mysocialworknews.com. We talk about it on this podcast. Hey, I even opened opened with a little monologue when I was talking about my lack of self-care over the past six weeks, even when people have been trying to care for me. 
But that idea about being our own clients and putting ourselves first really struck a chord with me. Um, what did you think, Tilly, when you read that? Yeah, I mean, it's a brilliant article, isn't it? Ashley's summarised it so well, mm. I think. And and as you did at the start of the podcast, social workers really struggle when it comes to helping ourselves. Yeah. It doesn't yeah, come do. naturally. It's uncomfortable. And it's probably one of the hardest things that we have to do. I, well, I think personally, I'm rubbish at looking after myself. I'm, I'm the worst person to be talking about this. I frequently will realise that I'm not particularly caring for myself very well but mm. I'm good at my job and it's it's hard when positions are reversed do you think it's a defense mechanism because I, I I know for me that it's a defense mechanism because it's almost um like I worry about the levy gates being opened I worry that if I admit vulnerability and accept help in one thing that I will become weak and somehow that will weaken me that you know a, a chink in my armor will expose everything that's where it sits for me and that's why i kind of if i can convince other people that i'm strong and if i can project that image of strength if i can just keep going just keep going just like on finding finding nemo just keep swimming just keep swimming that's sometimes how i cope with things in the social work by being constantly busy because you know what it's like i mean I used to always get ill, not so much now because my, my social work jobs aren't as demanding as they were. They're demanded in a more sort of technical aspect. They take a lot more experience, but they're not as demanding as when I was a, you know, a frontline social worker in a non-management position. You know, that was when things were really, really demanded when I had a caseload of 45 as a newly qualified social worker. In those positions, I, I could more or less guarantee that as soon as I had a week off work, I would get sick because my body was running on adrenaline and junk food and sugar and caffeine and I was drinking more than I should and I was eating junk food on a weekend. But when I stopped, my body would like drop and then I would get ill. Has that ever happened to you before? You've, you've always got ill or poorly or felt down when you've had time off? So much. Honestly, yeah. I think for the first five years of my career, that's what happened. Scary, Every isn't it? Every single period of time I was off, I was, I was ill or at least... Even if I wasn't ill, I was just too tired to do anything. Yeah. But, um, I think of it a bit like Pandora's box. It just goes in and you just shut the lid, you push yeah, it to one yeah. side, keep going, and then yeah. just leave everything else behind. Um, I don't know what, it's worked so far, so I'm still going. Um, yeah, well, well, that's, that's, that, is, that is what I worry about at times, you know. And, and look, the, the fact that I, I am, like I say, I am recognising that I think these past six weeks has just been more difficult of me because of, you know, specific personal things. Um, let's talk about self-care then. Is there a duty on social workers to take responsibility for our own self-care? Or is there a kind of second question that does assuming our own responsibility kind of absolve our employees i'm employers should i say of their duty of care so kind of two points i want to start on with firstly if we got to do more to take care of our own self-care and secondly if the responsibility is passed on to us do we risk that that allows our employers to shirk their responsibility yeah i think there's a balance isn't there and it's it's everyone's responsibility a bit like safeguarding it's everyone's mm. responsibility um True. i mean you've got to look after yourself because no one else is going to and you've got to make sure that you do set time for yourself she says like she mm -hmm. does it for herself but anyway <laughs> <laughs> do what I say not as I do um yeah so you've got to 
to prioritize your own well-being and make sure you set time aside for yourself but equally your employers have a duty to make sure that you're not feeling so overwhelmed that you can't do that and I think that's where the dangers come in especially in frontline social work where you just don't have the time to do anything other than fire fail on your caseload everything Mm. is just crisis management and when you're working at that pace for so long if you do stop, then you just get to the end of the day and you feel so exhausted and yeah. you don't have time to do anything that's proactive or healthy self-care. It's You rely on things, as you mentioned, your junk food, your alcohol, mm. your binge watching TV, just things that aren't actually going to really help you in the long run. Do you know what? It's an interesting point you make there. I was talking to um, one of our um guest bloggers, guest contributors, regular columnists who writes under a pseudonym. And obviously I, I regularly speak to our columnists um, as I speak to you, Tilly, but you write under your own name, but I regularly sort of liaise and speak with some of our anonymous columnists. And I was speaking to one the other week and she said to me that she feels that she probably actually burnt out many years ago, but she's just been kept going. When she looks back mm-hmm. and she looks back at her career, she thinks that she burnt out two or three years ago, but was just sort of running on fumes. And I thought, wow, what a dawning moment that is, because I wonder how many people have burnt out, but just don't recognize it yet. Yeah, that's a scary thought, isn't it? And probably really common. I mean, how many social workers, if you walk into an office in in a local authority, you just look around and you think, gosh, actually, there's so many people that are sat there. Mm. just really struggling um and i think that's become harder to see now when we've moved to virtual working yes before, when everyone was in the office you could tell if someone was having a yeah, bad yeah, time yeah. you only had to look across and see someone whereas now with virtual working and people can often turn their cameras off even in in video calls you just don't know what's going on with people and i think mm. that's really scary and i think we're going to lose more people because they won't have any colleagues to sort of tap them on the shoulder and say, come on, let's go and get a cup of tea. You don't look like you're, you're having a good day. Whereas now you're just sat at home and having to deal with everything on your own. Yeah, it's a massive worry, isn't it? It really is a massive worry. Can you share, like, if you, if you if sickness rates gone up, if they've gone down, how have you seen that impact upon what you're aware of in your workplace? Yeah, so it's a bit hard to compare because I've changed jobs several times since COVID. So I wasn't in, I I can't really do a before and after comparison. Um, I think sickness rates have gone down though, because with this virtual working, I think there's a lot more people that feel obliged to log on. And even if they're ill and you say to them, look, just just take some time off you you're you're poorly don't worry about it they say oh well I can muddle through I can do bits or I'll do what I can I think there's a lot of people that are masking how they're truly feeling during virtual working working from home but I think in general I mean I'm, I'm not in a frontline social work team anymore so stresses are very different but I think as long as you've got a good team around you and you have like daily check-ins with people and you don't lose track of anyone and again I think that's easier when like me you're in a smaller team now mm-hmm. where you can sort of spend that time with colleagues whereas when you're in a large team I think it's very easy for people to get missed 
And I think with high turnover rates, with agency workers as well, it can be quite easy because if, and you know, I've spent a lot of my time, the vast majority of my social work career up in agency and locum and independent. And uh, sometimes we sadly get a very bad rep, to be perfectly honest. And I think it's totally unwarranted. I really do think it's very, very unfair that agency social workers are kind of scapegoated for a lot of the ills. Whereas if it wasn't for agency social workers, then the vast majority of safeguarding teams and probably adults teams as well, but I don't have as much of a frame of reference for them, would simply collapse. Agency social workers, you know, keep the keep the you know the the wheels turning, as it is. And I think agency social workers can be particularly at risk i'm not saying everyone isn't at risk of course they are but i just think agency social workers can sometimes be at more risk simply because their managers don't know them as well they don't know what triggers are going to set them off they don't know their personality as well and because they're expected to hit the ground running there can be a great deal of pressure i think newly qualified social workers fall into that same category and anyone who's recently starting a job Let's get back to Ashley's uh, column um, about being our own sort of best clients about social work and ourselves. Did university teach you about self-care? How much did you learn about self-care in your training to be a social worker, Jelly? See, I can't remember having even a single lecture about this. Um, I, and I hope times have changed since then, because I think the conversation has certainly changed around people's mental health and supporting one another I, so I'm hoping now that universities are including that but yeah. when I qualified I, I didn't have anything did you did you have anything nothing at all absolutely nothing no. at all and it, it's it's wild that that was the case given how important it is I mean look it's it's over 10 years now since I finished university um so I would hope that in the 10 years since we are a lot better at recognizing mental health issues and the need for students to engage with support and look after themselves. But I'm not so sure to be perfectly honest, because I don't see any lecturers at all speaking about this as an issue um, on Twitter and on Facebook and, and Basware and, you know, other, you know, websites that I might check on. This doesn't seem to be much of a popular thing. And I, I worry, now I'm not saying that lecturing isn't a stressful job. Wow. I know it is. Lecturers work a lot more hours than most social workers, believe you me. But I just wonder if there's a bit of, um, potentially a bit of a disconnect there. And that perhaps um, our university system isn't as geared up as it should be. I hope I'm wrong on that one. I hope I'm wrong, but certainly I wasn't taught about it. You weren't taught about it. And I'm not really hearing much. So, um, listeners, if your university, if you've been at university more recently than Tilly and I, and there are uh, modules and subjects and there are strategies and training given to manage your own self care, do please let us know. So, if university didn't train you for, to manage your own self care, um, has your employer, has your workplace helped you with that one, Tilly? Yeah, I mean, I'm quite lucky where I work. There's been there's quite a strong well being offer. Um, nice. There's lots and lots of training around it and different support options in different forms. So, I think I, I'm I'm lucky in that respect. Mm. Um, but I know that there are many organisations out there that don't have that level of support and and do keep the onus firmly on the individuals to sort themselves out which is it's not how it should be it needs to be a, a dual effort from from both sides 
So I've been a child protection social worker more than 10 years, and I've worked in 10 different organizations in that time. How much training do you think I've had in self-care? How many offers do you think I've had, Tilly? <laughs> I'm wanting to say at least one or two, but I have a feeling you might say none. I've had one in 10 years. One. In 10 years' time, there has been one bespoke, standalone piece of training that was benefit and self-care and it was a, a lunchtime mindfulness class and I was too busy to go because I had a looked after review. That's really sad that is that's tragic. And it was only um, offered the once it was only offered once um, I think it was a council-wide thing and it, it went to social workers as well there was another local authority that I worked for that used to have a walk around the council office. The council office was kind of semi-rural. It was on the outskirts of a of a city. And yeah, it was kind of a semi-rural office and they had an offer on lunch that you could walk. But again, it wasn't just for social workers. But yeah, in um, in 10 years, that's been it. And it, 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 it actually blows my mind, to be perfectly honest, because this is in our employers' best interests massively. It's massively in employers' best interest. The time and effort and money that they would spend on improving self-care and supporting social workers' well-being in the workplace would far outstrip the cost of sick pay and the cost of recruitment when social workers burn out and leave. So it's a strange, neglected area. That makes me realise that actually my organisation is really good at that. We have yeah, things yeah, on are. pretty much, I'd say, at least every month, if not yeah. more frequently than that. There's, there's stuff going on about well-being and mindfulness and um, resilience and self-care. Yeah. Um, wow, I, I'm more fortunate than I realised. No, you definitely are. You're 100%, my friend. You know, I tell it as it is. You know, I'm not. I'm not spitballing here. It's 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 exactly as it is. That one. It's it's wild. It really is. And of course, this is always the way it's going to be when, when social work is broken down into hundreds of different local authorities. We will always see it as this. And it is, you know, one of the main reasons why I call out for a standardised national care service. That I do believe that social care, social work specifically in terms of you know our fields, should be. A national system like the NHS, yes, you, you should have trust, but overall there should be a national offer in order to help standardise and improve what's being done because right now it's done on a case-by-case -case basis. And as we see with wildly different Ofsted ratings in neighbouring authorities, what is offered in one council uh, on the border of another one can be very, very different indeed. Um, let's once again pull it back towards Ashley's uh, topic and that she raised in her column and today's subject, which is how to social work yourself. So a bit of a fun time coming up here, Tilly. I know you've been looking forward to this one, but before we get I've into... I've been dreading this. Oh, oh no. Oh, come on. <laughs> Um, don't spoil it. Have you ever thought about doing an assessment on yourself? Not until now. And <laughs> it's coming up. And no, oh, but no. No, but think about that. Think about that. Though. How many people have you assessed in your career? A thousand? Certainly in the high hundreds. Oh, I, I don't even know. Yeah, who knows? 
Yeah. It must yeah, thousands. Must be thousands. Yeah. So I, I I think we'd I think, you know, whatever it is, you know, probably about the same, you and I. We've certainly assessed many, many hundreds of people in our careers. Now, in all the other people you've assessed and all the time that you've put your hundred percent focus on understanding that person's needs, understanding what that person wants understanding the risks that that person is faced with and balancing them out between risks and protective factors and following the social work cycle of assessment intervention review. Have you never once sat and thought, nobody's ever done this for me and I've never done this for myself, that you have never once had your needs and risks and desires broken down into the way that you offer to other people on every single day? No, I've never thought about it, to be honest. And I don't know if that's because I suppose in adults um, working with people with care needs and I myself don't have care needs. So um, I haven't ever really thought about it. But Well, now's um, the time to think about it. Get your thinking cap on because mm, we're about to dive in. Are you ready for this? No, no, I'm not ready at oh, all. Well, but go well, on. Well, you, I, that... we've saved the role play up. I did tell you quite a a, many this weeks a... ago. This I isn't role you, play. This isn't this role is, play. Oh, but it is though. It's not a role play because I'm going to be playing myself. Oh, I'm, okay. I'm I'm portraying a kindly and professional social worker. Yeah, but that's that is role play. Well, oh, see, are you are you uh, hold the line here, listeners? Tilly, are you claiming that I am neither kindly nor professional? <laughs> not that, but this whole. There we go. Oh, hold, hang on. You, well, well, hold the line then. So are you claiming that I'm not a social worker then? Which one is it? Because I've said I'm going to be a kindly professional social worker. Which one of them is a role play? No, the situation is role play. Just because you're playing yourself doesn't mean that the situation isn't false and it's making me feel weird. So just get it over with. Come on. I okay. promise oh, well. you oh, that, well. that we well, would do this. This, is, um, this isn't This isn't how you, you are coming into this assessment <laughs> with the wrong mentality. This isn't something to be got over with. You are coming into this assessment with the wrong mentality entirely. I don't think you're being serious about this assessment process. Well, I mean, put your social work skills to the test because there's a yeah, lot of resistant you know clients yeah. out there. That's exactly so. what you're doing. You haven't even got the care to disguise your compliance. You haven't even... <laughs> yeah, would, do you know what I'd say? I prefer that. To be honest, I'd rather have that. I'd rather know where I stand. I'd, de- I'd rather know where I stood with a client, to be perfectly honest, because there you can you work go. with resistance. Uh, yeah, you exactly. are being resistant. You're being Should evasive be and resistant. That's the first hostile. that's going in your case records. You are. It's a fa- <laughs> do you know? Do you know what? This is this is definitely the kind of assessment where I take a second social worker with me. Hundred <laughs> percent. I'm not going to be. I'm not going to beat you up. You're all right. I might no, be. But I've, look, I'd, I'd bring a student for two reasons. Firstly, for protection, because I think you're the kind of person that would lie and say that I'd been. You hadn't said things that I'd said. And secondly, I'd want them to see what it's like how to de- how to deal with a difficult service user. And you are being incredibly difficult and obtuse right from the bat. Let's see if I can wear you down with my affection. Okay. <laughs> Come on, then. Give it your best shot. Right. So, a 10-minute whistle-stop tour of the Common Assessment Framework. Are you ready for this? No. Go on, then. Ah, oh, well. Actually, I've explained the Common Assessment Framework for our listeners. Um, 
most people who've, well, I think everybody who's, everyone who's worked in child protection in the UK should know what the Common Assessment Framework, but for our overseas listeners who may not use this model, the Common Assessment Framework is essentially a triangle, and it looks at three different things that apply to a child. It looks at their developmental needs, their parenting capacity, and their family and environmental factors. So when me and Tilly, I say we discussed, I put it to Tilly and said, we are doing this on this week's podcast. Um, I said, Tilly, you find an assessment you can do on me and I'll find one I can do on you. But rather than going into a PAMS assessment or a parent assess or going down a capacity to protect or an age assessment or a Bernardo's DV rim and other more specific ones, I thought I'd go with a generic one. So anybody who doesn't understand the common assessment framework, if you you literally just google common assessment framework you will find it there now tilly you are getting a buy on this one because we're not going to talk about child's developmental needs because you're not a child so you have got off with doing 33 percent of this assessment does that make you feel a little bit better my friend <laughs> yeah just a bit so there just go. to clarify am i pretending to be a parent here what am i no, you're just what yourself you're just yourself you're just yourself because these questions if you think of these questions this is why i like the common assessment framework all of the things in the common assessment framework apply to everybody even if you look at child's developmental needs so that we're not going to be discussing this but the child's developmental needs are health education emotional behavioral development identity family and social relationships social presentation self-care skills in my opinion for me and i think for most people those are just as relevant to everybody everybody's health's important everybody's education is important your emotional behavioral development's important your identity your relationships your presentation and self-care is important would you agree yep it is but we're not going to discuss that because it is child's developmental needs so we're going to talk about parenting capacity but this is kind of self-parenting capacity how well do you look after yourself now go don't go too detailed here do you know what i mean we don't want to be inappropriate but i'm just going to go for this assessment just as an example okay the reason we're doing this listen this is an example of what we do with clients on a daily basis but what we don't do for ourselves and as uncomfortable as tilly is and tilly's playing a role here we know she's really really excited about doing this but she's playing the role and you played it well you are playing the role of an obtuse client very very well indeed tilly 10 out of 10 for your acting and role play skills today so parenting capacity on this case self-care capacity how do you feel you manage your basic care needs at the moment tilly are you doing well or do you need a little bit of support i'm doing roughly okay i suppose okay. well roughly this, was okay. a, this was a parent assessment score you're a yellow for your self-assessment there yeah um, middle of the road yeah middle of the road insurance safety do you think you manage your safety well do you think you take care of yourself do you think you look after your own safety needs do you think you avoid risk-taking behavior um, as much as possible oh no i'm a massive risk taker in every aspect of life yeah Give me all the risks. Live on the edge, me. Emotional warmth. Do you, would you say you had? I mean, really, at this point, we could pull out the Rosenberg self-esteem scale, but I'm not going to go to that one because that's a bit too detailed. Emotional warmth. Do you think you've got the right emotional warmth in your life? Do you think you care for yourself in that sense, and you have other people around that care for you? I don't know. Like perhaps your podcast co-host, maybe. Oh yeah. Well, sometimes he does. <laughs> Well, sometimes he makes me do really weird things on the podcast like this. But um, no, I think I'm middle of the road, emotionally warmth. Yeah. Stimulation. Do you have adequate stimulatory activities in your life? Too many stimulatory too, too activities. Many, too many. Like a cat, like a hyperactive cat. Um, I know. 
guidance and boundaries. Are you somebody who's able to put up guidance and boundaries? Not the kind of toxic boundaries that I was speaking about earlier when you agreed you did as well, but do you think you generally have good guidance and boundaries? Do you say you're a boundary person, you can kind of keep uh, you know, keep correct guidance and boundaries and set, um, set sort of rules and regulations around you? Do you have like a code of ethics and a code of morals that you try and live to? Yeah, I think I do all right with that. And stability. Um, ignoring your uh, erratic housing situation that's occurred, which we've discussed on the podcast before, uh, that's out of your control. How would you sort of judge your stability in life at the moment? Actually, to be honest, now I'm the stablest I've been in a long time. So, yeah, that's all good. Nice. So we get into the family environmental factors next. We're not going to discuss family history and functioning because we will be here all day. Um, we will talk about housing, though. How's your current housing situation? Are you happy where you live? Yeah, I've got a nice little flat. I'm, I'm in a nice area. Rent's good. It's, yeah, pretty happy with that. Now, here's the biggie. How would you rate your current employment? <laughs> <laughs> now, don't, don't be too honest, because I know your colleagues listen to this. Let's not be uh, too honest yeah. here. Let's go back to the role play. Tilly's played someone else. Employees, fellow colleagues, manager of Tilly. She's played a role here. So, how would you rate your current employment? <laughs> um yeah it's fine but enough said good income now without going into too much detail till you're either making us all sad or making us all jealous are you financially stable at the moment <laughs> i do all right yeah you'd, I be be you'd be doing better if you didn't have a horse though wouldn't you it would be especially as the bloody horse needed an emergency vet call out on sunday so that's another 500 quid that i've wasted on wow. uh, but anyway wow. that's another <laughs> that's, an, that's another weekend you've got to work um your social integration now obviously you've you've lived in your part of the world your entire life really haven't you i have yeah pretty much apart from when i moved away for a few years when i went to uni i then moved yeah. back to where i am are you generally happy? Would you say you're integrated there? Any plans to move? Or do you think you'll always be a Southern Coast lady? For now, I'll, um, yeah, stay in, in, my, in the southwest of England. I'm pretty settled. And the last section is community resources. Are you aware of your local offer? Do you access local parks and uh, libraries, museums? Do you go to local beaches? Do you sort of take advantage of what's on offer in the local area, such as, I don't know, maybe going to the theatre to watch The Beekeeper of Aleppo? Oh, yes, I do. Very much so. My, I'm a staple in the tattoo parlour. Like, right. the, um, <laughs> That's not usually one of the community resources that I get from parents <laughs> in the session, but it's usually go to soft players and local parks but and libraries. But fair enough, tattoo parlour it is. Exactly. I, I'm quite happy going there. They're a decent bunch of people. We have a good laugh whenever I go in. So nice. it's all good. Now, I know that's a bit of whistle-stop, and we said we would stay to about 10 minutes each, and obviously we haven't gone detailed, we haven't got granular, because that would be inappropriate, given the kind of things we'd end up talking about. But the whole point of doing this, Tilly, and you know, I know we've joked about it being uncomfortable and so on, but the whole point of doing this is to get the point that Ashley was making, that how often do we have people ask those kind of questions of us, or how often do we sit and ask those questions of ourselves in terms of our life and break it down like we do with our clients every single day? Yeah, I mean, we don't, do we? We don't. We don't uh, self-audit, do we? No, we never do. Um, and it's, it's not, we're really missing out, I think, sometimes on that. I mean, I remember when I was at uni, we did things like 
do a genogram on yourself, do an eco map where you're trying to learn how to use some of those basic assessment tools. But yeah. apart from that, it's not not really. But these are relevant. These are all important questions. I know we've asked some of those in a, in a sort of funny and humorous ways, but some of them we haven't asked because we would immediately get far too deep for us to reveal on, on the podcast. But these are important questions that anybody should be asking. It just, you know, it, Ashley's article, it did make me realize that, wow, you know, we spend our days in social work asking very, very important soul-searching questions of the people we support, knowing that we have to ask those questions in order to help them thrive. And yet many of us will never ask those same questions of ourselves. Exactly, exactly. So there we go, right? It's my turn now. You know, you've had your fun. I've had my fun. Let's, you know, have at me. Okay, so... I don't even know what assessment you're doing of me. At least you knew I was going to do a calf. I have no idea. So what are we we doing? Are we we doing a mental health capacity assessment? What have you got for me? No, just a basic care act assessment um, that's very similar to, I suppose, the common assessment framework. It's kind of the same, but reverse for adults. Um, I was tempted to do some sort of mental capacity assessment (laughs) or or mental health assessment, but I thought (laughs) that's a bit more tricky to do it is yeah let's let's keep let's keep that locked away for now please yes and to be honest the last time i did an assess well we tried to do assessments at work so as part of my role in my day job we have to deliver training and myself and my team have been trying to create some videos where we are actually role-playing how to do different capacity assessments in different circumstances. Considering I'm the manager, I had to be kicked out of the last session that we did in disgrace because I was laughing too much. (laughs) Yeah, probably not the best. My colleagues were doing a brilliant job and I was being really disruptive and inappropriate and had to leave. My own colleague said, you you really need to give yourself a moment because I couldn't stop laughing and the joke was over everyone else had finished laughing apart from me I couldn't stop so that was rather embarrassing but anyway enough about that care act assessment then so um for those of you that don't know the care act is the main piece of legislation that people use for adult services in England and and Wales as well I believe so it's a assessment that looks at what your care needs are and Mm -hmm. your life holistically and works out what outcomes can be met by social care, what outcomes are being met by health or voluntary family support networks, things like that. So it starts off very quite openly, quite friendly in a way. Um, So has anything changed in your life recently and what is important to you? Obviously, oh, yeah. you don't have yeah, to go. Massive, <laughs> yeah, massive <laughs> things have changed in my life recently, but I can't go into them just yet. But yeah, significant things have changed for my life and they have had massive ramifications on me. So that's the first thing. Um, so what are your strengths? Oh, oh, somebody asked me this the other day. I like it. I like it. I um, am funny. Or at least I try to be funny. Um, I am... Um, resilient i am incredibly dedicated and committed i am loyal to my friends i am kind and i'll do anything people ask of me i would like to think i'm a good father and would do anything for my children i'm incredibly driven in work i'm ambitious and i am 
I like to always try my best. And how could you use these to help you live your life? Mm, this is a very good point. This, I'm glad you've asked this. This is a very good point <laughs> because I am often so focused on external things and doing things for other people and looking for achievements and goals that I don't turn those same skills onto myself, which is the exact point of this podcast. Excellent. So the next part of the assessment looks at um, some of the Care Act outcomes. So we talk about things like making use of necessary facilities or services in the community and accessing and engaging in work, training, education and volunteering. So um, it's, it's hard because these assessments don't, they're, they're, they're conversational based. So it's hard to ask a specific question in relation to this. It would generally just be a conversation. But in those areas, what, who or what is important to you? Um, how are you managing those areas at the moment? And what areas do you feel you need support in? So this is a very good. That, the, what you said there about the community support and community offer is something that I should do more often because when you when when I moved, I, you know, the move from office working to home working that happened just over three years ago, uh, three years and three months ago, it happened in March 2020, when uh, the COVID lockdown came in end of March 2020. That was very good in terms of my productivity, and in terms of my work life balance, what that robbed me of was the ability to make new friends and the ability to spend time with people. And it was you know, it was a double-edged sword because on the one hand, it avoided me getting annoyed by people at work when I wanted to work, which was kind of a good thing. And it certainly sent my productivity levels through the roof. And it saved me so much time in terms of traveling and traveling to meetings and commuting to work and so on. But it robbed me of actually getting to spend time with friends. And you know what it's like, you know, when you just speak to people online, Fair enough, you're still catching up with people, but it's not the same. You don't have those shared bonds and you don't have their, those shared laughs. And yeah, that's that's really something that I've missed quite badly. And again, it's, I've just realized that I've kind of missed it because it's difficult when there's a benefit to things. When there's a benefit to things in life, you can tend to just focus on the benefits and think, oh, well, that's great. It's improved in this area. And you've heard me talk on this podcast many a time, listeners, about you know how, how I've loved the move to homework. And I know there's many of you who are in the same position as me. But what it's done is it kind of robbed me of that interaction with people outside of my immediate circle of friends. And it kind of robbed me of the ability to make new friends in that sense. So coming back to what you said about community, um, yeah, I've thought quite a lot that I do want to get out there and um, meet more people in my community. I'd like to go to a writer's group. I'd like to get you know back into adult education classes. I used to like some of those things and kind of get out there and, and just sort of start doing more things and meeting more people because, I don't know, Tilly, maybe it's just me, but do you ever get the feeling sometimes that you're already kind of scratching the surface of life and you become quite comfortable in terms of your lane and you kind of coast along? You do well in life, but you end up in a very, very sort of narrow niche and you don't necessarily push yourself out as much as you used to. Yeah, I get that. But I'm the assessor here. We're not talking about me. No, 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 I'm joking. People ask that. That's that. (laughs) Tilly, that's called building rapport, that is. It's very, very important. You and I both know it is very important to put a bit of your own personality into a social work assessment because what happens when you drop a bit of your own personality in? Your client opens up. It shows that you're human. 
but we're getting we're getting a glimpse of your assessment skills here aren't we you you procedural assessor i'm seeing what it's like now oh, no, well, i'm honest, sorry i'm sorry mr jones yeah is you can't ask me all right tilly calm down no, i'm trying to no. be friendly I know, I know. It's been so long since I've done a character assessment, though. I've had to, I forgot how to do one, to be perfectly honest. I only do capacity, mental capacity assessments now. Um, you don't, you don't assess my capacity. So, you're not, you're um, definitely not depriving I'm, me of my liberty. <laughs> no. <laughs> you said we've only got 10 minutes to do mine. I mean, there is still a lot of different outcomes to go through. But um, do you want to carry on? Give me one more. One more. What's the okay. most important question you would possibly ask in a care act assessment that you haven't asked already? When you when I you're doing well, a care act oh, they're assessment, they're all important. No, you are all... sp- spoken like a true social worker. Um, what's the most <laughs> important thing? So, so for me, I know, I I I know that if I'm doing a common assessment framework, generally speaking, the most important thing is insurance safety. Now, I don't get they are all important, but. What's the number one reason why a social worker gets involved in a family's life? Because we have concerns about the safety of a child. Is that yeah. fair to say? Yeah. See, it's different in adults because it's much more holistic and you're looking at care and support needs. So although risk obviously needs to come into it quite significantly, otherwise we wouldn't be involved. But actually, it's more around well-being and supporting a person to live independently for as long as possible. Um I don't know. Let's let's go with caring for others then. So who's important to your life and um, what can you do for yourself? And are there any areas that you might need support with? Um, so who's important to my life? Well, the two most important people in my life are my two children. You know, everything that I do, I do for them. Um, you know, I love them unconditionally. I, I would do anything for them to the extent where I'm, I positively spoil them at times. Um, what support needs do I need? I I I need to not be as hard on myself and not be as hard on other people because I have very high standards in life, <laughs> as you know yourself, Tilly. As I have quite high standards, do I sometimes irk people by holding them to those same high standards that I have for myself? <laughs> No, not at all, Vince. Of course, that's not you at all. No, 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 no. And and because of that, I can sometimes come across as being very blunt, can I not? <laughs> Understatement of the year. Well, rude. Some people might um, say rude. Some people might use the word rude. I wouldn't deny that. Um, to the point. So yeah, 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 yeah. From a good place, but people who don't know me that well don't always know that. So yeah, I um, in terms of what I need, yeah, I think I need to uh, dial it back a little bit at times and uh, daddy chill and realise that you don't always have to be tr- looking for the next big thing. You know, as we've heard on this podcast many times, listeners, and until you know me personally, so you'll know this as well. In my life, I'm always looking for the next thing. You know, is it is it? I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I want a camper van. There's always like a new project. Oh, Tilly, we're going to do this on the podcast. We're going to do this. I'm going to write this book. I'm going to do that. I'm going to have this new job. And I, there's always a focus. There's always a focus on the next big thing. What's the next thing I'm going to do? What's the next thing I'm going to do? Um, it would be good if I could just say, well, actually, everything now is quite good, really good, to be honest. So rather than looking what's next, what's next, what's next, sitting back and just saying, well, actually, things are really good right now. You don't always have to be looking for the next thing like a hamster on a wheel to keep yourself occupied. 
you can sit and you can enjoy the silence and just be at one with yourself and those around you that would be probably the most important thing yeah it's about enjoying the journey isn't it rather than just the destination I think that's something that we all struggle with at times but Mm -hmm. um, important to to lead a happy and fulfilled life is is just enjoying what you've got and being grateful for it and that and that is the issue because I I always there were certain goals that I had in life and I thought well I get that I'll be happy when I get that I'll be happy when I get that I'll be happy but that period of kind of elation and satisfaction is very very fleeting and it potentially doesn't exist at all you know me I'm a big fan of boxing and um, one of my favorite boxers is the Gypsy King Tyson Fury and Tyson Fury speaks a lot about his mental health and he says that the saddest day of his life was when he beat Vladimir Klitschko and became heavyweight champion of the world because that's all he'd ever wanted. So his entire life leading up to, I think he was 28 at the time, 27, 28. So his entire life, I mean, he was named Tyson after Mike Tyson. So his dad, John Fury, named his son after the most famous boxer in the world at the time, Mike Tyson. So he was, he was bought up in a gypsy bare knuckle boxing family heritage he's his cousin his dad's cousin was a man called bartley gorman who was king of the gypsies you know the the, the best bare knuckle fighter ever his dad john fury was a boxer he's breezy his uncle peter fury was a boxing trainer so tyson fury was bought up to be heavyweight champion of the world that's all he was he was born to do that it's all he did his entire life and he got to 27 and he got it and he said, you look at the pictures of him, and he, he looks heartbroken. You look at the pictures of him when he won the heavyweight championship of the world, dethroned Vladimir Klitschko, who I think he'd had, Klitschko had been like 40 fights unbeaten. I think he'd had 20 title defenses in that time or so. And he said that was the unhappiest day of his life. And when the interviewer, I think it was on the Joe Rogan podcast, when Joe Rogan asked him, why was it the unhappiest day of your life? Tyson Fury said, because I didn't know what to do next. That was it. His whole life had been predicated on doing that. And suddenly what should have been the happiest day of his life was the worst because he felt like he no longer had anything to live for. And what did he do? He went on a massive downward spiral. He ended up getting heavily involved in drugs. His weight ballooned. He was in a really, really bad place. His bipolar developed and he attempted to commit suicide by driving his car off a bridge at 200 miles an hour in his Ferrari. Now, thankfully, I've never felt anywhere near like doing any of those things, but hearing the heavyweight champion of the world speak like that, because it's difficult for men, even in social work, it's difficult for men to talk about those things. So hearing the heavyweight champion of the world speak like that was incredibly powerful because that is, I think, how I feel a lot of the time. And I think a lot of people feel that way. If you always strive for what's on the horizon, then you get to the horizon and it's, ah, what's next you can kind of feel empty yeah you can so don't do that keep no. enjoy the journey <laughs> there you go that, that's, my words that's, what I, that, that's don't that's do, what, do that. <laughs> that that and and that that is what um it is very important to learn we've gone deep on today's podcast haven't we tilly we have i feel exhausted I don't know if we've, we haven't been doing self-care at all, have we? We've been um, not looking after ourselves at all by no. digging into all these assessments. Well, no, but yeah, this is, you know, how how many times does, how, like, so how many clients do we work with, Tilly, or have we worked with that 
when they start going to therapy and when they start reflecting on things, they feel worse before they feel better. Of course they do. Yeah. I mean, this was a therapy session, wasn't it? There we go. Giving each other some free therapy. We have. Thank you very much. Um, Yeah, thanks. (laughs) I needed that. (laughs) Yeah. So, so, so listeners, you know, as much as me and Tilly have opened up ourselves for your and our own um, perusal there, the reason we've done this is uncomfortable as Tilly said she was going to be with it, but it wasn't as bad as Tilly figured. Um, no, I trust you enough now, Vince. I know course, you well of enough. Of course, so. of course. I know. <laughs> I will, I, you know I'll be gentle with you. Um, yes, it, we've done this because it hopefully gives you guys that are listening an insight into why this is very important, that if you guys have never had these conversations with your loved ones, with a colleague, with a friend, or sought professional advice, but yet, if you spend every single day asking these kind of questions of the people you support, it may be as time that you ask those questions of yourself. Now, me and Tilly have literally just plucked out two rudimentary assessments that we use on clients whose positions are generally very different from our own. But even in those assessments that we've used there, there's been a lot within them that is relevant. So I, I would, listeners, you know, if you feel comfortable doing this and you haven't done it, do consider doing that because when I was researching for this podcast and I was asking myself some of those questions, it highlighted just how bad my kind of self-neglect had been and just how much even somebody like me who prides himself on being strong and not needing support and having excellent organization and self-care skills, which I speak about on this podcast and which I wrote about this very day over on my socialworknews.com, even helpers need help sometime. And I think it's been hopefully very important for you guys to hear that. And I know it's certainly been very important for me to recognize that and discuss it with you today, Tilly. So thank you ever so much. Pleasure's all mine, Vince. Pleasure's all mine. Right, guys, until next week, who knows what we'll be doing next week? We certainly didn't expect this was going to happen. We just, I, I just took these things and I said, right, let's do that this week. So who knows what we'll be doing next week, but we do know we'll be back here for you, coming to you 5 a.m. every Friday morning GMT. As always, it would be really, really appreciative if you can head over to iTunes or Spotify or anywhere else that you get your podcasts. Do leave us a review. We'll do exactly exactly as we've done this podcast and read it out on the show. So this week you heard from Liddy Rose. You will hear from yourself. If you leave a podcast, we will read it out on next week's show. Do head over to mysocialworknews.com and check out the articles we've been discussing today. Until then, it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me.